1 Peter chapter 4, and I realize that it has been a couple months since we looked at this book. And so as I was first starting to put this, this sermon together, I was thinking about, okay, how do I recap things? And I was kind of pleasantly surprised to find that Peter had already done it, I felt like. So read along with me. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to read the first six verses. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. I think when Peter starts off this section, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, that's a pretty good summary of what he's told us up until now. Now, in the last three chapters, he's told us tons of stuff. But we started this back in the middle of August, went all the way through to the beginning of December, and now we're picking it back up again. We have talked about tons of stuff, but you've heard me tell you before that the ancients don't argue the way we argue. We tend to be really linear and direct. We're like point one, point two, point three, conclusion. We kind of make our arguments that way. That's not the way they do it. They come from oral cultures where, where literacy is not that common and, and a, a book is a treasure. You know, I've got more books in my library and my library's not that big than most people in this world ever saw in their lifetime. These guys, when they argue something, they tend to kind of loop a lot. They tend to say something and then come back and say it again and then come back and say it again. They still move forward. They still make an argument. They're still going somewhere. They just tend to hit points over and over. And this is a point that Peter has consistently hit over and over again in that book. Christ suffered in his body. Now think for a minute. What a bizarre thing that is to say, given who Jesus is. He is the king of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord. He is Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth. He put every star in the sky, every wavelength of light, every molecule, every quark. He made and obeys him. And he suffered in his own body. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, who actually just passed away a few months ago, he used to say that God's world is an upside-down kingdom. It never happens the way you expect. You think, in our world, how do people win? You're better than somebody. You're faster than somebody. You're richer than somebody. You get ahead. Jeff Bezos is one of the richest men on the planet because he's winning. His endeavors are winning. They are profitable. They are doing well. 
He is not one of the richest men on the planet because he suffered and died. And yet that's what Peter has said about Jesus. So remember, just, just go back one verse into chapter three. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. How did he get there? He died. They killed him. They executed him for sedition. They crucified him, which is an embarrassing, shameful way in their world to be killed. In the Roman Empire, you cannot crucify a Roman citizen. It is too embarrassing. It is too terrible a thing to do to a Roman. You can crucify the peasants and the immigrants and all those guys, but you can't crucify a citizen. It's one of the reasons why in Acts, when people are often getting ready to beat Paul or threatening him, all he has to do is say, you know you're beating a Roman citizen, right? And everybody's just like, oh my gosh. Jesus dies a horrible, embarrassing, shameful, like shame on you, shame on your family, shame on your people. He dies this terrible death and he ends up at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus wins by losing. Jesus gets all power by submitting himself to his Father's will, by suffering, and by letting them kill him. This is an upside-down kingdom. You do not get by being better, faster, stronger, greater. That is true in our world, but it's not true in this world. And Peter starts off, again, telling, reminding these people, Christ suffered in his body. Therefore, he says, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Now, now don't miss that. Arm yourself for us. You know, that, that's kind of a generic thing. Be prepared. In their world, that's a military term, right? I mean, you could have a guy go pick up a spatula and say, I'm armed for battle, and go out to the grill and cook a burger, and that'd be okay. In their world, the word means to take up a sword and a shield and a spear. It's, it's the word for, for being a Roman legionnaire. The soldiers, you know, soldiers are not common in our world. You don't see them that often. They were everywhere in this world. People saw them all the time. Arm yourself, Peter says. Take up a weapon. Get ready to fight. And how you're supposed to arm yourself is with an attitude. The word literally means something from your mind. You're supposed to think this. We're supposed to do this. Like, like don't miss the urgency here. Peter's saying this is work. You've got to think this. You've got to arm your mind. And again, he said this before. He said this way back in chapter one. Remember he said, gird the loins of your mind. Be completely sober. Set your hope on the grace you'll get when Jesus comes back. He, he, he's bringing these ideas up over and over again. This is work, Peter says. It's like battle. Arm yourself with a thought. Arm yourself with an understanding. And the understanding is that suffering, <clears throat> suffering is normal. Jesus suffered. Our Lord, we call ourselves followers of Christ. Our Lord suffered. 
And Peter says, brothers and sisters, you're going to suffer. Arm yourself with this understanding. This is work, but you need, you need to know this. You need to think this. You got to like, you know, write this on the inside of your eyelid so you see it when you blink. If you are a follower of Christ, then you are going to follow him in suffering. That is 100% normal. It is not a sign that God's upset with you. It does not mean terrible things have happened. It happened to Jesus. It will happen to us. But it is also the way to greatness in God's kingdom. Jesus, who could have had all the power, he was God, he could have done what he wanted. He could have just taken it, but he didn't. He got it through suffering. He got it through suffering, and he got it through death. And listen to what Peter says happens. If you will embrace this, because seriously, who wants to suffer? I mean, that sounds like a terrible idea. Who wants to like be, yes, I understand suffering is normal. It's part of God's plan in a fallen world. I follow Jesus, and I'm going to follow him in suffering. Look what Peter says happens. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. In this fallen, messed up world, suffering is one of the ways that God gets the junk out of us. It's one of the ways that God turns us aside from sin. And if you have been a Christian for any length of time, then you know Wow, there are some things in the Christian life where God just shows up and takes care of. There are some things in your life, some things that go on that you pray and you ask God and God just shows up and says, I will take care of that. And stuff just works that, wow, it shouldn't work. Again, if you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time, I am sure you have seen situations in your life where things that should not have worked worked. God just showed up and did things. And if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, there are places in your life where you have prayed and prayed and begged and pleaded, and God has not shown up and fixed it. God has not changed the situation. God has not changed you. God has not turned anything there are places in our life where God in his graciousness, he just shows up and deals with them. And for whatever reasons, there are places in our life where we have to take up arms and fight. And we do it by keeping this attitude in our mind. God is at work in our sufferings. God was at work in Jesus' sufferings. Like, wow, saved the whole planet. He has all authority and all power because he suffered. God will do the same thing with us. Those places in your life, and again, I guarantee, I've got them. I know you've got them if you're a Christian. Those sins that we cannot break. Those places in our life. Where, you know, Paul says it in Romans 7. He's like, what is with me? There are these things that I want nothing to do with, but I keep doing them. 
And there's these other things in my life that I'm like, yes, I'm going to do that. And then I don't do them. It was true for the Apostle Paul. It's true for me. I am confident it's true for you. There are places in our life where we cannot break out of sin. And brothers and sisters, this is how God does it. Suffering. We accept. We obey. We pick up the weapons that we fight with, which in this case is an understanding that God is at work in our suffering. And we do battle like that. And that is how God drives out some of our sin. And look what Peter says happens next. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. We've got to unpack that a little because he doesn't actually say the word evil. He uses one of my favorite words in the Bible. Sorry if you've hung out DCC for a few years, you've heard this before. I apologize. I just think it's really cool. Epithumia. He says that they no longer live for human epithumia. A thumia in this language is a desire. It's something you want. It's not good or it's not bad. It just is. It's something you desire. Epi in their language is like arc is in our language. You know, we'll put arc on something to mean it's the, the big, the important one. There are angels and then there's the archangel. There are bishops and there's the archbishop. You know, Batman has a bunch of nemesis, nemeses. What's the plural of nemesis? Bunch of nemesises. He's got, but he's got an arch nemesis. Arch, we use arch to say something is overarching. It's the main one. They use a P the same way. An epithumia. It's your overarching desire. It's the thing you have to have. It's the thing that if you don't have it, then you're nothing. It's the thing you can't possibly give up. The God could ask you to give up tons of different things. And yep, you, you could do that. Oh, but if he asked you to give this up, you don't think you could do it. And we've all got them. Everybody's got these overarching desires. Maybe, maybe one, maybe a ton. I, I don't know. I think it's different for all of us. And again, it could be something broad like success or power or wealth, or it could be something very specific like a particular relationship or a particular job, or, but we've all got them. Again, this, not just here in Peter talks about them. They're all throughout the scriptures. It's this great word. It's this thing we've got to have deep in our soul that we fear without it, we're nothing. And Peter says, if we will arm ourselves and understand that suffering is normal. It is part of how God works in our lives. It is part of how he removes sin from our lives. Then that will change our desires. That thing that used to be our epithumia, we won't live for that anymore. I mean, that doesn't mean it, it's going to go away. It doesn't mean that I think that at least it certainly hasn't for me. It doesn't mean that, that you're not going to care about these things anymore. But what's going to become the most important thing, Peter says, is the will of God. Not my will. Not the thing that I'm like, oh, I've got to have that. If I don't have that, I don't know that I can face the day. What I have to have, if I will let suffering in my life do its work, 
What I will have to have is God's will. What I will have to have is the knowledge that I am doing what he wants me to do. And I don't know if Peter meant this to be funny or not, but I think it's funny because he lists in verse 3 a whole bunch of epithumia of his age. And hey, guess what? It's sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I mean, that's really the crux right there, idolatry. We don't have idols in our lives that are actual images. You know, we don't, we don't set up this speaker and, and bow down to it anymore. Our idols are in here. There are epithumia. They're the things that we have to have. An idol is anything that comes between you and God. Anything that you are going to turn to to do the things that really only God can do. Remember what Todd talked about last week, letting Christ define us, letting Jesus tell us who we should be. Instead, we turn to idols. You know, if, you're, if your epithumia is wealth, then that's your idol. And so wealth tells you, if you're wealthy, then you're good. Then you've passed. If you've got wealth, then you're doing great. If you don't have wealth, you're not good. You're in trouble. Anything we let define us, anything that comes between us and God is an idol in Scripture. And again, you hear what Peter's saying. How does God break us from our idols? How does God destroy those things that we think we have to have? Suffering. Brothers and sisters, it's so often suffering. There's lots of things that have some, a slight hold on my life. And with work and grit and prayer, I can shrug them off. I can turn away from them. I could say, you know, no, that's not really that big. I'm going to go this way instead. And then there are a few things, and I know you have them because I'm your pastor, and you tell me about them. So I can pray for you. Thank you. I do all the time. But we've all got those things that, wow, they do not lightly hang on to us. They cling to us. They wrap themselves around us, and they say, without me, you are nothing. You will never break free. You must obey me. And we can't just shake them off. And we can't just work harder, and we can't just pray more, and we can't just discipline us. Those are all great things. I absolutely encourage you in all of those things. But there are some sins, there are some desires that for whatever reasons, they cling to us. And suffering is how the Lord breaks them. It's how he breaks them off of us. It's how he frees them. And Peter tells us what's going to happen if we do this. Like if we fall, if we arm ourselves, yep, suffering is normal. God is at work in me. God is going to use this for my good. We turn away from our sin. What's going to happen? You know, all the people you used to hang out with, 
Now we're going to heap abuse on you. And you're going to suffer some more. Hey, congratulations. You cannot escape it. If you're going to follow the Lord, then suffering is a reality in this world. Our Lord suffered. We are going to follow him in suffering. But we arm ourselves. The weapon we pick up is the sure knowledge that he is using it for our good. That he is using it to purge us of sin that we can't get rid of otherwise. That he's using it to get rid of all those idols and those things that cling to us and tell us, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to have me. You've got to be like this. If you don't have this, you're lost. You're nothing. You're worthless. Because those are all lies. Jesus says you are absolutely worth something. As God taught us last week, we let Jesus define us. So I want to ask you, I want you to think about those two things. We're going to take a couple minutes. I just want to run, run some thought experiments. Think about it. What are the sins that you cannot break free of? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, don't worry. What are the sins, the, the besetting sins? The writer of Hebrew will talk about that. You know, sins that just cling to us. What are those few? Because they're different for all of us. For me, one of my besetting sins is despair. I look around. I see things going wrong. I forget that there is a God. And I despair. I go in a spiral. Like, this is bad, and it's never going to get better. And I do this. I'm actually very good at seeing what can go wrong. It turns out that's a marketable skill in IT security. <laughs> Knowing how people are going to attack your systems. I was very good at it. I could come up with all sorts of ways that people could harm us. And then I could go through and fix it. So that didn't happen. That doesn't work real well with the war in Ukraine though. I don't have a lot of control over those things. Oh, but I can think of a lot of ways that can go south. I get myself in a spiral because I see the world and what I see is true and the things I come up with are real, but I forget God. And so I despair, which Lewis, by the way, says is one of the worst sins for people because you are forgetting the Lord. You're just entirely ignoring him. And so I've, I've been working on this. I've been thinking, okay, what does this look like for me? What does this look like for me to arm myself with the knowledge that suffering is normal, that Jesus suffered and I'm going to suffer, but that God is using it in me. He's using it to purge sin. He's using it to purge idols. He's at work in me. What does it look like for me when I start to get in this spiral of despair. Well, wow. If I like thought, I look at these things going wrong and I think, what, what's going to happen? Imagine if then I said to myself, just what Peter is telling me to say, God is at work in this. This isn't a downward spiral. This is an upward spiral. Sure, humanly, it looks bad, 
but I'm not stuck with humanly. I have a God. I have a God who promises to bring good out of everything. What if I took what Peter said and just literally told it to myself? Yep, these things are bad. Yep, these things are happening. Yep, I am suffering internally because of this. And God is using that for my good. God is using that suffering to teach me to trust him. He's using that suffering to break the grip that sin has on me. Wow, I don't come out of that spiral going down. I go, I go up. That's amazing that God is going to take these things that seem out of control to me and he's going to use them for my good? He's going to use them for the good of the world? Oh, that would so change my attitude. I want you to think, what, what are the sins that beset you that you can't let go of? How? What would it look like for you to do what Peter says right here? This week, when whatever, again, whatever the temptation is that assails you, for you to arm yourself. Again, folks, this is a battle. Right? This is not like a checklist. Oh, I've done that. This is a battle. You take up a sword. You're going to fight an enemy. But what you take up is a sure and certain knowledge that God is at work for your good in what is attacking you. That sin that is besieging you, that, that, that you are suffering under, God is using that to break the hold of that thing on you. What would it look like for you this week to arm yourself the way Peter says? Or what about epithumia? What? What are the things? What are the idols in your life? What are the things you've got to have? What are the things where, oh, if I don't have this, if I can't do this, if I don't get this, if I can't produce this, whatever it is. Again, I, I've spoken to tons of you. I know they're all very different. Whatever it is in your life, you've got to have this. What would it look like for you this week to do exactly what Peter says? To take up a weapon and to fight against that idol. To say to that epithumia, to say to that overarching desire that you have to have, to say to it, no, I don't. You're not my God. I won't let you be my God. You don't define me. Jesus does. And Jesus says, I'm worth dying for. Jesus says, he's proud of me. Jesus says, he likes you, enjoys your company, thought it was a joy to get crucified so that you could be with him in his kingdom. What would it look like for you to arm yourself, just like Peter says, with this sure knowledge that Jesus suffered, they killed him, and wow, he won everything. He won the whole universe. He saved the world. What would it look like for us to arm ourselves this week? That when we are assailed by sin, we arm ourselves. That sure knowledge 
that God is at work for my good and he is breaking the power of this sin over me. That, that when the idols in our life come up and tell us, I've got to have this, you've got to do this, this is the only way you're ever going to be happy, that we arm ourselves with that sure knowledge that God is at work. God is for me. That I can give this up. Yes, it is suffering. It hurts. It costs. But I can turn away from this. What would it look like this week to do exactly, literally, what Peter says? So I'm going to pray for you all. I've been talking about it for a while. I trust that God's Spirit has been talking to you about your epithumia, about besetting sin, about ways that he is using suffering for your good, ways that he wants you to embrace the hardships and not flee them. I'm going to pray for us that that God will show us how to do this. Because again, I've been working on this for a week, and I think it's hard. You guys, it just got dumped on you right now. I'm going to ask God to be at work, to talk to us for his spirit to show us what does it look like. I've said that like, you know, a dozen times now. What would it look like? I'm going to ask God to show you that. Like very specifically, Peter's talking about our mind. Arm yourself with this attitude, this thought, this intention. I'm going to ask God's spirit to talk to you in your mind, to show you maybe words, maybe an image, a picture. I don't know, whatever he wants to do, but to put into your mind what he wants you to do with this, how he wants you to resist sin with this knowledge, how he wants you to turn away from the idols in your life. And wow, brothers and sisters, whatever he says to you, do it. Because everything he says is good. Everything he says is good. Pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you. I mean, this is really, really kind of you. you. You could have just told us, hey, stop sinning. Hey, no idols. You could have just left us with that. But instead, you, you've left us all of these books by all of these folks who wrestled through these problems themselves. And again, it, it doesn't look like things were all that different 2,000 years ago than they are today. Thank you that, that you inspired Peter to, to tell the people in, in Turkey these things. And 2,000 years later, they're still true for us. We are still your followers. You still suffered, and in your suffering, you conquered. We will still follow you in suffering. You will still do good for us. Just as Peter says, suffering in the body, it it gets rid. It makes us done with sin. It changes our desires from the things we think we need to your will. What you know is good and right. That's what Paul says about your will. It's it's good, it's pleasing, it's perfect. And so that's what we want. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for everybody listening to me now, here in the building, watching online, however they hear me. Holy Spirit, I pray right now you would speak into their minds. You would show them what it looks like for them to obey. What does it look like for them to have this weapon at their disposal, that this understanding that suffering is part of your plan, 
and that you are using it for great good in your kingdom. That just as your son suffered and conquered, so it is your plan that we will suffer and conquer. Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone listening to me that you would speak to them in ways they can understand. That you'd put an image in their mind or a word or bring a situation up that that you would show them what are our idols? Where do we need to reject them? And to say that, no, that doesn't define me. Jesus defines me. What are, what are the sins that we can't break free of? How do we embrace suffering and use that to break the hold of sin in our lives? Jesus, I pray for all my brothers and sisters. I bless them with courage to obey you because this is a battle. Take up arms. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I bless them with endurance because this is not simple and it doesn't happen right away. Battles are not over in moments. Jesus, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here. I bless them in your name, with your power, your power that is beyond all power. I bless them in your name and with your power that we will all leave this place and go out and take up arms and suffer well and in suffering break the power of the idols in our lives and break the power of the sins that cling to us. Jesus, I bless my brothers and my sisters with peace in your name because you are the God of peace. And Lord, I do all this in your name you are our God. We only, we only say this because you have said it to us first. We didn't write this. You wrote this to us. We simply want to obey it. Jesus, by your power and for your glory, I pray that you would do this in each of us. We pray in your name. We love you and we're yours. Amen.